when we talked about doing this interview, I remember telling you, I could tell people how to parent without goldfish. Cause that was like the hardest yeah. <laughs> when I thought about like, how am I supposed to be a mom to these little kids without like goldfish crackers, Yeah, a pantry of snacks. Welcome to Cultivating the Lovely. I'm your host, Mackenzie Kappa. And around here, we know that life is hard and we gotta do everything we can to just make it a little bit more lovely. So it's my mission to bring you great conversations, practical tools and information, and a healthy dose of community to help make those things happen. If you wanna find out more, you can go to our website at cultivatingthelovely.com, visit our amazing membership community at patreon.com slash cultivatingthelovely, or by connecting with me on Instagram, which is one of my favorite places to interact with all of you. You can find me at Mackenzie Kappa. Thanks so much for joining me today. Okay, ladies, this is an episode that again is going to break out of the box a little bit, which I'm really enjoying exploring more of this season with the podcast. I actually have on an old friend from high school who I recently reconnected with because she's been living out of the country for most of the past 10 years, three different countries that she lived in around the world with very varying experiences. And I thought, wouldn't it be so fun to just find out what that was like? She has seven kids. She's had all kinds of experiences experiences in all of these different countries. And I think that she can give really good perspective to how we live here in America. And so I thought, wouldn't that be fun? Well, wouldn't you know it, as we got chatting, we started talking for so long that we actually are able to break this episode up into two episodes. So it's going to be both this week's episode and next week's episode. We will finish it out with the rest of her story in the different countries that she lived in. I hope you guys are really going to enjoy it. I know that I always really enjoy listening to travel podcasts, especially about families who've lived other places, because I am just not able to do that with my family. And so getting to hear about other people's experiences opens my eyes to different things that happen in different cultures, and I think just helps give us better perspective on our own culture. So I really hope that you enjoy this episode with my friend, Brooke Rasmussen. But before we jump headlong into this episode, I also want to mention a couple of things. First of all, We are heading into my trial week for my divorce. This ended up coming about seven months earlier than we were expecting it to. And we've had a very shortened time frame to be getting ready for it, which I know sounds crazy because, hello, this has been going on for a full two years now. So you're thinking, Mackenzie, what are you talking about? You had two years to prepare. But it is a very different thing when you're actually preparing for the real trial. There's some nerves going on, of course because it's going to be a long trial. It's rather complicated. It's very stressful. A lot of my life right now has been kind of consumed with all of the trial preparation and just trying to kind of survive the rest of it and find little pockets of time to work in and that sort of thing. But I just wanted to come to you guys today because a lot of you have been so supportive of this entire process. If you're here, then I really feel like you have been a supporter of me, especially through these past two years, and I am eternally grateful for it. And so first of all, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for hanging in here with me through this whole process. And thank you for the continued hanging in there with me that you will be doing as we move through this and to the other side and we find out what life is actually going to be looking like. Um, I'm just so appreciative to all of you. But I also just want to ask for maybe an uptick in your prayers for what is happening. We are supposed to, as far as we know right now at the time of this recording, be going into trial on Monday, October 14th. There could be a little bit of variance in that schedule that we will find out the Friday before. So you can imagine my stress and just trying to make sure that my kids are accounted for and people are there for them and helping them and getting them where they need to be and all of that. That's, you know, a whole nother level on top of actually being in a trial and having to be on the stage and all of that sort of thing. But I just really appreciate all of you who are keeping us in mind and praying for us. If you could especially be praying for me and my kids throughout that entire week of October 14th, I would be eternally grateful. This week that we are heading into is going to shape a lot of our lives for the next 
14 years. So if you guys could just be keeping us in your thoughts and your prayers especially, I would really appreciate it. Um, I also want to say that if you want kind of the inside track on what's going on, you're curious, well, what are the origin stories of all of this? And um, how did this happen? How are things going? The people who are really getting that information right now are the Patreon supporters. They are the ladies who have been on that inner circle and they get a lot more of those questions answered. I've been getting a lot more of them on social media lately saying, well, what exactly did happen and what's going on? And so far, I haven't truly felt at liberty to go into a lot of detail about all of that because this has been such an ongoing process. But the people who are in that Patreon group, they're a little bit more privy to what's going on and beyond just supporting me, which is something I am so thankful for about that group. They have been amazing. We also have really formed a community over there. It is such an unjudgmental group. People truly feel free to be able to express their opinions and support one another and ask honest questions and get thoughtful answers. It has been amazing to see how this community has blossomed and grown and friendships have grown, especially since the new year, I would say, and I would love to have you be a part of it. And so if you would like to come join us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely, and we would love to have you there. Okay, I know that this introduction was a little bit longer than usual, but I did just want to give you guys some perspective on what is going on with me right now, because this has been such a long ongoing process and so many of you have been hanging in here for so long. So we're headed to trial. We need your prayers and I so appreciate your support. All right, let's get on with this episode with Brooke Rasmussen. Welcome, Brooke. Thanks. Happy to be here. I am so excited to have you because one, this is one of those episodes I didn't have to read a book for. I just get to talk with you. And that is so fun because I don't get to have that happen often enough. But you guys, I think this will probably be the only time this ever happens. But I know Brooke from high school. So we are like really going way back. And it's fun because we just kind of get to sit here and catch up over her amazing story of the past 20 years. And you guys get to listen in. So, Brooke, would you like to introduce yourself to my audience? Sure. My name is Brooke Rasmussen. Um, my, my biggest claim to fame is I was friends with Mackenzie. <laughs> <laughs> I think I peaked right there, right? <laughs> well, we did share hotel rooms together on choir trips. We did. We did. Oh, gosh, yeah. choir trips. Don't oh, even go there. I know, right? <laughs> I'm so thankful for you guys. You kept my head on straight. <laughs> Oh gosh, those good times. But um, you have anyway, traveled. Uh, yeah. What else about me? Um, so I'm just recently moving back to the United States after spending the last ten years of living overseas with my husband and our ch- seven children. Well, we didn't always have seven. We currently <laughs> have seven. When yeah. we started, we just had three. Um, and uh, we were moved with his career as a diplomat for the U.S. government. Which I didn't even realize that's why you were moving all over. I don't even think I knew why. I was like, oh, they're off to another country again. (laughs) But it's so interesting to me because, I mean, now everybody's going like, oh, that's why she's having her on. (laughs) Because, hello, that's pretty amazing. You've spent more time out of the country as a mother than you have in the country. And in really interesting, very different places, too. And I, so I'm going to back up a second. I'm going to say, I listen to, I, I'm like a junkie for podcasts where people travel with their families and YouTube channels. And it just fascinates the heck out of me. But it's kind of a thing now. There's a it lot. is. It yeah. is. But a lot of them that I watch are pretty mobile in the way that they do it. Mm-hmm. They're not like setting up camp somewhere. But when you guys went, you literally moved to that country for a few years. Yeah. It's a little different than um, what a lot of people are doing now where they're like doing it as a way of um, like really minimizing, simplifying. They travel with just whatever, you know, they've got on their backs kind of a thing. Um, Yeah. Not quite that literally usually, but just 
Some are. They try to stay. Yeah, some are. Yeah. They try to stay really mobile. Yeah, when we move, we move into a home. They ship all of our household goods for us. They mean the government as part of his my husband's benefit package. They mm-hmm. ship a car for us. Wow. Um, so we, it's like we just take our life and plop it in the middle of some capital city somewhere around the world. Yeah. So you've been to, we're in Africa. That's where you started, right? Our very first tour was Asmara, Eritrea. And if you're not familiar with where that country is, it's okay. I wasn't either. Yeah. <laughs> when we've got the, first, the assignment, I, it sounded like somewhere in, I don't know, East Asia to me, but it's not. Yeah. It's, Africa. it's just, um, just up the horn of Africa, okay. break off at Ethiopia on the Red Sea. Okay. It's only been in existence since the 90s. So if you haven't heard of it, you're not too far behind. (laughs) Yeah. Then I don't feel so bad. (laughs) And so I'm just going to do like the quick gloss over. So you were in Africa and then you were in Poland, right? Mm -hmm. Warsaw, Poland. Okay. And then Israel. Yeah. Well, then we were in Jerusalem. Okay. So that was your most recent. So, I mean, tell me all the things because (laughs) holy cow, you moved to Africa with your three children, first time, first yeah. time leaving outside the country, what, what was that initial adjustment like? Well, that was so crazy. And I often tell people that it was a really good thing that that was our first tour because I think I kind of felt like I had something to prove. Mm. Like I, um, I just, I didn't, I wanted to be tough and to yeah. be able to hack it. And yeah. so that kind of gave me an added energy to get me through that, that it, cause it was a really hard tour. A lot of people wouldn't have accepted that assignment. Um, mm. but because I felt like I had something to prove yeah. for worse, I don't know if that's really a good thing, but it kept, it kept me there. It gave me the energy to get through it. Yeah. Uh, and it was, it was a hard one. So what does that look like? I mean, okay, so the the government ships all your stuff there. You get a house, but here you are adjusting to a completely different culture, language. I mean, like, how do you begin to create a life there? Okay, so that first tour in Africa was unique in that, um, okay, that country, the local people survive mostly on rations um, from the government. So there really isn't much of a local market for foodstuffs. Okay. Um, and what there is, it's often been imported and kept in warehouses. It, it, it's just not very high quality food. You don't really know how long it's been in a shipping container. Um, so we basically ate nothing off of the local market. Okay. We shipped in all of our food. And so that wow. assignment gets um, an extra allowance for shipment so that you can ship in so much stuff. So we like just had a whole storage room worth of food for my family for two years that came in this big shipment. Um, but there was no, no local like dairy, any of the yeah. perishable foods that you can't ship in and just put in your storage room. Um, there just wasn't available on the local market. So it was tricky. <laughs> we lived yeah. off of um, powdered milk and UHT milk, um, which is one of those things that like, if you had told me that I was going to survive for two years with little kids on powdered milk and box shelf milk, I would be like, yuck, no way. Yeah. But yeah. it's amazing what you get over when it's your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you do what you got to do. Um, so that was tricky. Um, yeah. Living without cheese was a real <laughs> you get used to. I bet. You know what? When we did go back to the States, so we were there for two years and we went back twice in that two years, maybe three times actually. And we would put we put food in our suitcases. So we'd come back. I would have my suitcase full. Like I'd weigh it several times to make sure I got every ounce out of it of just <laughs> cheese. Like <laughs> Costco and just get bricks and bricks of cheese. Oh, that's hilarious. So we weren't totally without cheese. It just depended on how long it had been since we'd been to the States. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go to Europe to get But we'd, yeah, just fill up our suitcases with food. Ladies, Halloween is coming, which means we're all about to be inundated with rubber spiders, fake cobwebs, and jack-o'-lanterns. But if you've got a family, you might be dealing with something a little scarier right now. 
shopping for life insurance. If the idea of looking for life insurance intimidates you, try PolicyGenius.com. PolicyGenius is the easy way to shop for life insurance online. In minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. I love how simple and clean this website is. You're not going to get lost in fine print or confusing lingo. It's so straightforward and very simple to help you find what you need. Also, just because you walk through the process of looking for insurance on their website doesn't mean you're going to start getting inundated with emails and phone calls about when you're going to sign up. They help you on your timetable and really meet the questions that you have, which I really like about this company. It's not about pressure, it's about getting you the help you need. And once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all paperwork and red tape. And Policy Genius doesn't just make life insurance easy, they can also help you find the right home insurance, auto insurance, and disability insurance. This October, take the scariness out of buying life insurance with Policy Genius. Go to policygenius.com, get quotes, and apply in minutes. You can do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. I think that was actually one of the biggest takeaway changes from that experience was my relationship with food changed. Mm, yeah. Because we went from, you know, in this world of abundance in the States, you're constantly trying to figure out ways to not eat all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's constantly eating, you know? Yeah. Um, but there, um, it was like, how can we possibly get as much calories in you? Like I'm adding oil to things just for the caloric value. Wow. Um, and so it was just a really different way to think about food that you are really trying to get as much nutrients and calories out of every bite that you could because there just wasn't much to go around. Um, yeah. It's food literally for survival yeah, <laughs> instead of it, just like whatever, you know, just like what sounds good. It's like, no, this is actually sustenance for your body. And I also really learned that um, my kids, my family was a lot more flexible than I thought they were. Mm. It's like if you, in fact, when we talked about doing this interview, I remember telling you, I could tell people how to parent without goldfish. Cause that was like the hardest. Yeah. <laughs> when I thought about like, how am I supposed to be a mom to these little kids without like goldfish crackers, Yeah, a pantry of snacks. And it really was kind of a hard transition, but you get used to it and your body's changed. Like when you're not eating carbohydrates all the time and you don't crave it all the time. Yeah. So, um, that took a bit of a shift, but yeah. So how old were the three when you went? So my oldest was five and then okay. a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And then my fourth son was born in the middle of that tour. So I was, did my pregnancy, um, there, but then I, flew home to the States to deliver. And then, okay. Okay. Yeah. I would imagine that would, (laughs) if you can't get all the food that you're needing, you're not wanting to give birth there. Yeah. Yeah. The hospital would frequently run, um, get its electricity turned off. Oh yeah. (laughs) Didn't really seem like a wise choice to stay. Yeah. But that was really hard because we had local friends and local friends were pregnant. And so it was like, oh yeah. yeah, I'm going to the States to my deluxe hospitals. Good luck with your delivery. I mean, it was just really yeah, awkward. Hard. That would be. I don't know. I think like a lot of people experience going to countries that are, um, have a lot less resources. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of, a lot of processing going on about sure. wealth and abundance and scarcity and what that means and what you know, cause you have, um, hired help often in countries like that and how that works. Cause you're, um, you're providing a livelihood for someone, mm-hmm. but there's also the dynamics of the local culture doesn't pay what our local culture would. So do you pay them on the local rates or do you pay them what your family can afford to pay them? Mm-hmm. Cause you know that you're, you're providing their family. Um, there's that, there's the fact that like my neighbors are living in a shack with like rats scurrying around their yard. And then there's this big wall and then there's my house and it's this lovely villa compound. And that's kind of hard to process through. What's, what's that about? Why do I have what I have and they have what they have? And yeah. And I think there's like a period of kind of pitying people. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about that tour was I, was there long enough to push through that mm. and to see that um, 
pitying people doesn't really do anyone any good. That's yeah. not, not good for you. It's not good for them. I don't really think that's the way God wants us to be in relationship with each other. Yeah. I realized that they didn't resent me for my abundance. So why was I so defensive about it? Oh, yeah. And uh, um, just learning how to be generous from a place of generosity, not of guilt. Um, I don't know. There was, there was a, lot of, a lot of stuff going on there that maybe that I don't even know while I was living it that I really saw. It's kind of only in retrospect. That yeah. Was, yeah. That really changed the way I think about things. And that really changed the way I think about things. Well, and like you said, it was probably a really good first assignment because it literally just like threw you into the deep end to have to think about all these cultural adjustments that then would, I'm sure, apply in varying measures to the other places that you lived. But it's like you're getting, you're getting the most extreme kind of version of it. Yeah. And it gave us confidence. Like, yeah. tons of confidence that my husband and I felt like when we were done with that tour, it was like, we can do that. We can do anything. We're afraid of the future in the same way. Like when it was time for bidding is what they call the process where you get your assignments or you, um, yeah, when that, that can often be filled with a lot of stress as you try to figure out what you can do and what you can and what, um, what you want versus what's available. Sure. But coming out of that, it was just like, it's all up from here. Yeah. (laughs) Just, and not even with assignments, but just with life. It just didn't feel, life didn't feel so hard and scary after having gone through something that was really, really stressful. Sure. um, For a good period of time like that. So you were there from the time that your oldest was five to seven, correct? Yeah. Okay. Kindergarten and first grade there at the international school. Okay. That's what I was going to ask. Like where, where would he have gone to school? But how was that experience of like starting out with school for the first time in a foreign country? Yeah. Um, Cause yeah, he was my oldest. And yeah. So I was a elementary school teacher. Um, that's my background. And so I didn't really have a lot of stress about my kids early elementary educations as far as like, I felt confident that they'd know how to read because of me. I didn't really, mm-hmm. I wasn't stressed about the school being good enough to provide that. Um, so that was nice that it just kind of took the edge off of um, the educational sure. issues for my kids that I could just feel like I could send them to have a fun social experience. Sure. And, um, and then we, we read at home and um, talked at home enough about, you know, stuff, stuff yeah. Learn. yeah, that I didn't, I didn't really worry about if, if the school was up to par or not. Um, but his school was an international school. So there was, it was a mix of some locals and then the other diplomats kids, um, that would go there too. But he was the only native English speaker in his class. Oh, wow. It was kind of neat for him that the teacher often used him as, uh, helper because yeah. he had that added edge in his language abilities. Mm-hmm. So from the beginning, he got a, to experience a leadership role as a little kid. And I think that was really good for him. Yeah. Oh, I bet. And so as far as the language barrier, like how did you guys navigate that? So in, um, in Eritrea, they do speak English as a second language. So okay. it's, um, there was enough English around that it wasn't much of a barrier. Um, I mean, most people didn't, people didn't speak it at home, but most people learned it at school and Mm -hmm. most businesses operated in English. Um, And the school, the international school was all taught in English. So language has been one thing that has kind of surprised me about living in different countries. It's been less of a barrier than I thought. Hmm. Um, And I often have to kind of explain that to people when they come and visit us, that there's, people often have a lot of anxiety about going to a foreign country and how am I going to operate. Um, but yeah. English has gotten widespread enough that there's just kind of always somebody. Um, and most, I really don't have any experiences of just being up a creek language wise hmm. uh, between just knowing a small handful of words and them knowing a small handful of words, we figure it out or using Google translate on our phones or just finding someone else in the room, like often in a store, if I need something, maybe that a salesperson doesn't know English, but they have someone that works in their store that does. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I can see how I had a similar experience when I went to Russia. It was like you, you, mm-hmm. there was usually somebody around. It's a pretty widespread language. They oftentimes take it in school. And so they know at least a little bit. Yeah. And I would think like, as far as getting around, you're going to be able to manage that. But as far as like actually building like community for yourself, how were you able to do that? Because I would think there might be some like like language barrier in trying to make that happen. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of tricky. So we, we were there with the government and, Mm -hmm. um, there with the embassy community. So that can be a double-edged sword that it's awesome that you kind of have an instant community um, Mm -hmm. made of the other people that are also there working for the embassy or the consulate, but it also um, can hold you back from really pushing yourself to make friends and make a village for yourself um, with local people. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting. Everybody kind of has their own threshold with that, like how much of their time and energy they devote to their their expat community versus Mm -hmm. their local community. Sure. Um, And I feel like I've been in different places on that at different times. Sometimes I just, I just don't have the energy to, um, because it, it takes a lot of work because it, yeah, right. It's just not as natural of a connection. Um, You got a lot of things in between you and the people around you. Yeah. Um, well, and when you have seven children, also be thinking of totally. you don't have your hands full or anything. Ebbs and flows. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just taking care yeah. of my kids, trying to figure out what the heck is for dinner tonight. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that's enough. And other times it's, you know what? We're here. We're in this other country. Let's do this. And, and it's usually easiest through your kids to yeah. have playdates. Um, it's the easiest way usually or um, in Africa, it really helped that we had some, um, a housekeeper that was our yeah. kind of connection to the local world. And she would bring her kids over to play sometimes. And, um, one time she invited me to her home when our sister had a baby and that was really neat. I got to meet a lot of her friends as they gathered around this baby. That's interesting to ha- like, that's such a major moment in someone's life. So being able to see that from a different culture, I imagine, was really That's interesting. One of my favorite nights of the whole time being there it was spending that evening with her, her sister, and um, just some other women in their neighborhood that had come over. Um, so many interesting things about, uh, oh gosh, well, even like, the, okay, the baby was just beautiful, right? Just this yeah. beautiful, beautiful African baby with these great big dark eyes. And um, I said something about that. Oh, the baby's so beautiful. And um, the response from the mom just broke my heart. She said, oh, her skin's kind of dark. And I just, I learned a lot about self-acceptance there. uh, Because that would come up sometimes. In their culture, the lighter shade of brown your skin is, the better. Hmm. Um, But like when we came to our house, they had it stocked for us with soaps and, you know, toilet paper and stuff. So we wouldn't Mm -hmm. dry our first night. And the soap was wrapped in packaging that said um, skin bleaching soap. Oh. And I just, after living there and seeing the way people reacted to my white skin, mm. I came home with it like, I used to lay out in tan often and I won't do that now. Like I, I just won't. Mm. It, it is so ridiculous to me, the chasing shades of skin. I just, I didn't see it. Yeah. So now, like, of course we want to have tan legs. It's swimming suit season, whatever, you know, but no, it's so, it's such a silly thing to chase that, mm-hmm. that you're never going to have just the right shade for whatever it is people around you think is beautiful. Yeah. And we all just live in our own skin. Yeah. Yeah, change it. Stop bathing with skin bleaching bars of yeah, holy on self tanner and laying in tanning beds and yeah, thinking a baby, a beautiful baby, isn't as pretty as another baby because it's darker. Yeah, it's all silly and and it it would have been easy for me to have that experience with a baby and say, oh how how shallow are these people? But I was glad that I had the wisdom to see like, we do the same thing. Yeah. We advertise these, our self tanners and our tanning beds. Yeah. It's not appreciating the skin you're in. 
Yeah. And here I am over here putting on like 50 sunscreen. Like I don't want to look one day older than I am. All these things I do. I know. Oh, that's so interesting. What a powerful experience just getting to see culture through different eyes and yeah, yeah, the way I imagine. react to babies and motherhood. That's the most fascinating part to me. Ladies, it can be so hard to get answers about your health. I feel like a lot of times I know something is not quite right, but I'm not sure what to do to fix it. I've tried new diets, I've tried different doctors, alternative medicine, but it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what it is that's going on a lot of the time. It's so frustrating to not be in control of your health and to not be able to get the answers that you're looking for, especially on your own. I know I've really faced this, especially in the past two years, as I have dealt with health issues that I think are probably linked to stress, but I think there's probably some other underlying causes that I would love to find the answers for. And that is why I was so excited to find Everly Well. Everly Well offers more than 35 at-home lab tests from food sensitivity to thyroid to STDs and heart health tests. I personally decided that I wanted to take the food sensitivity test because I've tried a variety of different diets but have had trouble figuring out exactly what it is that is best for my particular body. And Everly Well is helping me to very simply figure out how my body can best function and I am so grateful for that. Each Everly Well collection kit comes with super easy to follow instructions where you collect your sample from home on your own time. This was a big one for me because I had some nerves going into it, but it was so easy to do and I'm so grateful that I was able to do it when I was ready. Then once you send your sample back, it's processed in a certified lab. Your results are reviewed by a board-certified physician, then they are sent directly to you digitally within just days. You can even share them with your healthcare provider. And the EverlyWell digital platform helps you break down exactly what your results mean for you. Plus, you can also set up a free discussion with a healthcare professional directly through the EverlyWell platform. To start learning about your health like I did, check out EverlyWell at-home lab tests today. And for 15% off an EverlyWell at-home lab test, visit everlywell.com lovely and enter code lovely. That's everlywell.com lovely, code lovely for 15% off your test. EverlyWell, at-home lab tests, your answers, your way. Oh, there was one other thing that happened that night that I'll tell you. So there was an old, old grandma there and she had just gotten back from um, visiting her or actually living with her son in the States for a couple of years. And okay. the other women were asking her about it and she was saying, oh, I hate it there. It's so much work. Oh. I thought, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because in my head, oh, it's so much work living here. Yeah. And, um, she said, cause she was, you know, helping her son with taking care of the little kids and the housework and stuff. And, um, she said in America, they wash their clothes every <laughs> single day. You wear it, you wash it, you wear it, you wash it. <laughs> she was just so disgusted by this that it created so much work to have to, if, if it touches you, if you put it on, then you put it in the dirty clothes and then you have to wash it and then you have to dry it and then you have to fold it that we, she just thought Americans create all this work for themselves. And that is so interesting. I thought that was really interesting. It's something that just kind of stuck with me that your expectations are what creates your work. Like, yeah. If you don't have it in your head that you have to wash it because it was worn and instead you like wait for it to show signs of. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Whatever. That's so interesting. I know I do. I am trying to get through that even to like my daughters. Like you only wore those pajamas one night. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> Don't make me keep washing them. So we just create this work. Yeah. I feel so put upon that it's, yeah. Know, we're the ones that set the standard for. How much yeah. <laughs> well, and I remember when I was in Russia feeling like, oh, I've got to pack all these clothes. I'm going to be there for 10 days. You know, <laughs> like it wasn't even like super long, but 10 days, like you got to make sure you have enough outfits and everything. And then we had these interpreters that were with us most of the time and they wore pretty much the same couple of outfits the uh-huh. whole time we were there. And it was like, oh yeah, like we are so American. Me. Yeah. 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 All these things that you just, you don't, it's, it's just the air you breathe. You don't think about it until you see someone do it the opposite way, totally different. And then you think, oh, I guess 
I guess that is a choice. <laughs> yeah. Well, and did you run into, I imagine, and I want to get to these other countries that you were in too, because they all seem so diverse. Um, but I would imagine you ran into a lot of like expectations or assumptions people had about Americans. Yeah. Yeah. There's some of that. In general, I feel like, um, well, it was interesting. So in this country, while we're talking about that, um, the government was really anti-American. Oh. The people were not. And I think you find that in a lot of countries. Yeah. When, it, when you're actually talking to people, very, very rarely do you find someone who truly wants to have hard feelings against you because of where you were born. People mm-hmm. in general are ready to get to know you, um, even if the government policies are a little out there. Yeah. That's interesting. I just remember having like really stark interactions with a couple, I mean, it was, it was a good handful of people while we were in Russia, but they would like always want to look at our teeth (laughs) because we'd had braces. And so they just thought that was like, so interesting that our teeth were all straight (laughs) and they would always like ask us about our TV and like things like that. They just thought it was like, everyone was a movie star. And like, do you know movie stars? And they're like, no, I don't know movie stars. Like, what are you talking about? And that was really funny. I got so, okay, this is totally um, not a lovely thing about myself, how vain I am. But um, when I was in Africa, I really got used to people just like looking at me everywhere I go. Like if I put a scarf over my head and sunglasses on, I'm tall. Yeah. People like would often ask me if I was a movie star, that same kind of thing. (laughs) And whenever I, when I entered a room where I walked down the street, heads turned. Yeah. When I came back to the United States just on vacation, it was like, I didn't notice that I had noticed that until no heads turned when I walked in and it was like, (laughs) I'm walking here, people. (laughs) Did you not notice? (laughs) I have entered the room. Acknowledge my presence. I love that. Yeah. It's like, oh, you're back to, back to reality, back to like where you're just like everybody else. That's Mm -hmm. so interesting. Okay. Backing up. Cause I want to get, I, we've got so much ground to cover cause I want to get to like the transition back to the U S for sure. But so you're in Africa for two years. How do you go immediately to Poland? Do you come back? Is there an interim period? Like, what is that like? Yeah. So, um, most assignments you'll need to learn the local language for, at least in my husband's line of work, um, with the state department. Okay. So he didn't have to for Africa because like I said, enough people there spoke English as a second language that mm-hmm. it was fine. Um, but in Warsaw, he needed to learn Polish, which was kind of tricky because I didn't know this until we went to Poland, um, that Polish is one, a very hard language. Like mm-hmm. it's harder than it's, well, it's up there with like Chinese and Arabic, even though it's our same alphabet, their grammar is complicated enough that it's, it's a hard one. So he spent a whole year learning Polish. Wow. Um, in Virginia. So when we go back to the States for training, they'll put us up in, um, a furnished apartment. So not all of our stuff has to follow us back to the States. Um, just do like a small shipment of your favorite things. And then all the rest of your furniture just stays in a warehouse. Um, and then it goes back it goes out to your next assignment. Interesting. Crazy. Okay. So you were in Virginia for a whole year and do you start learning the language too, or do you just kind of like chill? <laughs> like I'm yeah. back in the U S for a while. Yeah. <laughs> just give me all the food. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny when you go back to the States after, you know, you feel all entitled to eat yeah. You yeah. because you've been deprived for so long. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we I didn't learn language. You can. Um, the State Department's really good about offering spouses an opportunity to um, go to language classes if you want. I had enough little kids going on in my yeah. life. That, uh, juggling babysitters just wasn't, I wasn't motivated enough by the language to deal with that. So yeah. I didn't, I tried a, <laughs> I tried an online one actually before yeah. Poland and I totally cried after the first lesson because I couldn't say, I wanted to learn how to say, excuse me, because I knew that I, that's what I needed the most, like getting on buses with my double stroller. I needed to be able to say, excuse me to people. And it's a really tricky word in Polish, oh. but it's like one of these like 15 consonants strung together in a row. And <laughs> I couldn't oh. say it. 
I totally cried after the first lesson and I was just like, you know what? I don't need this. <laughs> and I kind of regret it looking back that I didn't take advantage of the opportunity to learn the language, but also I kind of don't because I know at the time that that was the right call. Then. Yeah. Yeah. It's and just, it's probably not one of those languages you're going to be using a lot of again. True. Unless you're going to Chicago, you don't yeah. do a lot of Polish. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> probably not real high on the list, but so how long were you there? Um, in Poland? Yeah. For two years. Okay. So were they your all? First, your first two tours when you're with the State Department are always two years. And then after that, um, they're either two or three years. Okay. Okay. So you're back for a year. So you're three years into this process, then you moved to Poland. And what was that transition like after having experienced Africa? Was it different than what you expected? Or were you just kind of like, okay, I got this. This is like old hat. Yeah. It was interesting because, uh, so our tour in Asmara, um, that's the name of the city and where we were in Africa was so unique because that country just has a lot of unique factors going on. Um, and the embassy was really small there. Um, there was only like five Americans working in it. So wow. an embassy can be anything from, yeah, just a couple of Americans working there to hundreds. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though it wasn't, even though we'd already done a tour, when we started in Poland, it felt like we were newbies, like mm-hmm. the because there was just so much to embassy life acronyms and people's jobs that I just, I didn't know what they were. And I felt like I was supposed to know what it was because I'd, this was our second tour. Yeah. So there was some of that getting used to just working for a bigger embassy. Um, but in general, it was just really lovely. So Warsaw is a lovely place to live. We loved that tour. And it just, I felt like that was just kind of balm to our rawness. Yeah. The, our first tour was just so intense and great in a lot of ways, but just intense that going to Europe was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this is kind of more what I was envisioning when I yeah. was living overseas. And, and I mean, for all of the lack of dairy that we had in our first tour, <laughs> abundance of dairy in Europe just felt so good. It was just like, give me all the cheeses, all the cheeses. (laughs) That's so funny. Well, I remember even like when you were in Africa and I think, I think we got like a few choir people got together with Mr. Teal. That was our choir director for like a little reunion, like 10 year reunion thing. And Mm -hmm. somebody just threw out there like, Oh, I've heard, you know, what this person's doing, what that person's doing. And then I think he was the one to be like, well, I think Brooks in Africa. And it was like, what? (laughs) Brooks in Africa? Holy moly. So even when I heard like, Oh, you're headed to Poland. It was more like, Hey, that that feels a little bit more on brand. (laughs) What I'd be expecting. (laughs) Yeah, we loved it. It was so nice. And the other big thing, the big difference was that, um, well, this is great for all anywhere you are in Europe. It's so accessible. You can travel so easily between the countries and experience all these different cultures that are just right there. You just hop in your car and six hours later, you're across two different borders. And um, so in where we were in Asmara, we weren't allowed to leave the capital city because of the relationship with the government. They didn't, Oh yeah. They wouldn't let us leave. So even though I was in this foreign exotic place, I didn't get to explore it. All I saw yeah. was just my city, um, which was a pretty small city. So it didn't keep me interested for all that long. <laughs> yeah. In Europe, we, you know, if we're getting bored, we could just travel. We took our family to Denmark for a week and had this magical week by the sea on the tip of Denmark. Wow. Often went to Germany. Um, We took a weekend into Greece. Oh my goodness. It was just so lovely to just be able to to enjoy where we were. We loved Warsaw and to dive deep into that culture and history. But then if that ever got a little boring, to just hop over to another country and experience. Yeah. Yeah. We are in the thick of the school year with all the activities and everything going on. And you know, if you've listened to me for any amount of time, that I think meal planning is the number one thing we as moms can do 
to just help ourselves have less decision fatigue and frustration in our lives. And that is why I love Plan to Eat. Because the people at Plan to Eat wanted to create a tool to help you prepare delicious, wholesome food that nourishes both body and soul for your family. And that's exactly what they've done. Plan to Eat is a really simple website, also an amazing app where you literally just drag and drop your recipes onto your calendar. You put in your own recipes so they already meet your own dietary preferences and needs. And that's really the most work you're ever going to do with this website because the rest of it is so simple. You can even turn whole weeks or months that you've planned into pre-planned menus that you can use again and again, removing even more of the work for yourself in the future. And plus, with that handy little app, you are never going to leave the house without your shopping list or your plan again. They even put the products that you're buying into the stores that you most commonly buy them from. It's like genius and it helps me so much in getting things done quickly. Plus, Plan to Eat has an amazing support team. They usually get back to your questions in 12 hours or less and they're offering my listeners an incredible deal. Because Plan to Eat is a subscription service that offers monthly and yearly options for $4.95 a month or $39 a year and they only have a sale one time a year, they are actually giving you guys a a 60-day free trial to be able to try out the service. Normally, they only give 30 days, but they are giving you guys 60 days to fully get in there and experience how much this website can change your life and make it so much easier. So just go to plantoeat.com slash lovely for your 60-day free trial. Again, that's plantoeat.com slash lovely. Well, and I'm sure there was probably even kind of like a deep down sense of a little bit of familiarity because you naturally know more of the history of a place like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just true. because that's what we learn in school. Context there. Yeah, yeah. Like we're not learning a lot. I mean, we went to the same high school, so I'm assuming we, we learned a lot of the same things, but I remember not like learning a heck of a lot about African history no, while we were in school. Nothing about yeah. African history or, Which is, ancient, or ancient history. That matter. Yeah. Yeah. U.S. and European. Yes. Yes. And especially like World War II and all those kinds of things I feel like they hit so hard on. And obviously that's a huge um, center of, you know, things that were going on there. And so I would yeah. think that, that that gives it just a little bit more, I don't know, yeah. weight when you're moving to a place like that. Yeah. It was fun to be able to connect with these things that I've learned about. Yeah. And yeah. There and, or even just like novels that I'd read that had been, yeah. that like when they talked about certain locations in the novels, I'd been there. And um, so that was fun. And yeah, I didn't have, I didn't have as much of that kind of an experience in our African tour. Yeah. I would imagine not. So, so what, how did you settle in there? Like, okay, at this point you have how many kids? Okay. So we had just had our fifth. So okay. I had another baby when we were back in Virginia. Okay. Um, and she was like four weeks old when we oh, got wow. to, um, or no, she had, she must've been six weeks cause she had to have her passport processed and it takes about six weeks. So oh, she was goodness. six weeks old when we got to, um, to Warsaw. <sighs> That's so, not intense or anything. I can't imagine why you didn't want to like learn the language and, know. You know. <laughs> and why I was brought to tears by one lesson. Cause I was huge and pregnant. Yeah. This is just too much. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. All of our moves because we had so many kids so close. I mean, all my kids are two years apart. Our moves were always compounded with either just about to have a baby or just had a baby. Yeah. <laughs> so it was kind of, Always all at once. Yeah. But so we've just kind of gotten used to that's just kind of how we roll. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do it. There there is a certain sense of that. I mean, I only had four, but I think when you're in the role of it, it's just like, well, this is what we're doing. And this yeah. is, you know, it's it's only I'll just let you know since you don't have the perspective. <laughs> when you get a few years out, we're like, Oh, so this is what life is like when you're not doing that. Like <laughs> That's really? a whole different thing. Well, my youngest is just barely one. For yeah. Family. So yeah, I don't have the perspective yet. Yeah. Someday. <laughs> Beyond. Yes. <laughs> like diapers and you know the whole thing. Yeah. That's it's interesting. But you know, it, it, there. All I'm saying is though, when you're in it, it's kind of like, well, this is all we know, yeah. and so it doesn't necessarily feel harder because it's all you've ever done. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And a lot of people will say like, I don't know how you did it with so many kids. 
But really, once you're doing it, like, is there really much of a difference between four and five? I mean, yeah. like, you're already in the mode. Um, yeah. So yeah, it is a lot. And there can be moments it's like, holy cow, this is a lot of kids. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time, I don't feel it. It's just- Yeah. And as they get older too, like we, you have more than me, but I have a pretty good spread also sort not as much as yours but more you know more than most people have and there it is different as you're having kids and you have older kids oh it's not like you have seven kids five and under you know like I always tell people like you if you have just had a couple one or two you can't look at me and think I don't know how she does it because I can barely survive with my two I could barely survive when I had two also yeah yeah it's not the same. You can't just multiply it out because they, there is like a synergy that happens where they start taking care of each other and yes, and you get better at it. Yeah. You, you learn skills. And so it, it doesn't, the things that used to stress me out, don't stress me out. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a skill set. It's not a, yeah. it's not something you have to endure. You get better at it. Yeah. It's more fun. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. But back to Poland. So you've got five kids, you got a newborn, you're having to get your kids into schools there and like make the transition. And so how does that, how do your kids transition from having been back in the U.S. for a while and now they're someplace else? Like what, what was the Poland experience like from those perspectives? Yeah. Um, it's funny how for kids, you know, different things matter to them than matter to adults. And you can't always anticipate what it's going to be. So for them, um, they loved Poland. If I think most of our kids, if you ask them, they'd say that's their favorite tour. Okay. Um, Because we lived on a street that was a dead end street and there were um, two or three other American families on that street with us. It was just like a big row of lots of townhouses. Mm -hmm. So to them, that was like, the best, the best experience they could even imagine was to have this dead end street with yeah. their friends. They just got home from school and rode their bikes and their scooters and their rollerblades until they dropped, until it got too dark and they had to come yeah. And um, so they loved Poland. And I would never have known that because I didn't know what our house was going to be before we got there. Yeah. So you just never know like what is going to be the ticket for your kid. Yeah. For them, it was a dead end street, but it doesn't, you know, you can't always anticipate that either. I can't say as long as we're on a dead end street, they'll be happy because it was also the social dynamics of the kids that lived on that street that they loved mm-hmm. so much and combination of things that way. So um, they loved that tour and it was really easy for them to transition because they loved that house and the location and the neighbors. Um, and they loved, <laughs> they loved, you know, what they loved about Poland was that they have, um, like little vegetable shops on almost every block. Like every little neighborhood has their own veggie shop. Interesting. And they have big, like barrels of um, freshly fermented cucumbers. So oh, wow. Polish pickles, it's a thing. And they loved the independence of that. I would send them to the veggie stand to buy the day's produce and they could get a pickle for themselves on the way home. And that is one thing that I do love about my experience raising kids overseas is that mm-hmm. people are a little less, you know, like here I would hesitate to do something like that because it's like, well, what if someone sees my kids of these ages and then, and those people don't think that they're old enough to be yeah. the veggie stand and maybe they say something or tell a police officer, you know, I don't know. Yeah. We're just afraid of each other's judgment in that area. Um, but yeah, I found that other countries don't have that kind of fear around mm-hmm. their kids and their parenting. Um, and there's just more of a kind of more of a takes a village, like children yeah. are just valued by everybody. So it's like, why would anybody hurt a child? Like, why yeah. would you be afraid of someone hurting? Who does that? Um, and it's not like crimes don't happen in those other countries. I don't, I don't know. I just think there is more of a social fiber of we all love and protect our children. Mm-hmm. So, and everybody's doing it. Everybody's sending their young kids to the veggie stand to get the produce by themselves. Yeah. And it's just kind of understood we all watch out for each other's kids. Yeah. It's almost like where America was like 50 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. There was more that kids would ride their bikes to the store or the candy shop or whatever, but it's just not that way anymore. 
that's the hardest part of reverse culture shock. I feel like yeah. we come back to the States, all of a sudden I'm saying, no, you can't do that by yourself. Wait for me, wait for me. And so we'll go together. No, you can't go to your friend's house until I can drive you there. And yeah, um, they miss their independence. Yeah. That's so interesting that I've heard that from other people who've traveled, like, especially in like Asian cultures and that sort of thing. Like when they take their kids to a restaurant, like the kids aren't a bother. People aren't annoyed that the kids are making noise or whatever, because it's just such an accepted part of the culture. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, I can imagine how that would be hard on the kids to feel like what was normal there. Like now we have to be more tiptoey. Expectations. Yeah. 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 And even, I mean, as we have been growing our family through living in these different countries, it's been interesting that, um, we're always excited to tell our local friends, like my husband at work, he's always excited to tell the local staff that works in his office because in the three different countries we've lived in, those cultures have all been so excited for him that he's growing his family. Oh yeah. He's a little nervous to tell his American friends. Yeah. 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 Some people are happy for us, but some people have some feelings there about yep. whether or not you should be growing your family that big. And, um, and I've, we've just never experienced that kind of energy of, of judgment about family size um, from people from other countries in the places yeah. we've lived at least. Yeah. I imagine that would be very refreshing. Yeah. It feels to have good to have people just truly happy yeah. for you. And yeah. like, they just see it as... We have been so blessed and we have, this is how my husband and I see it, that we have been so blessed with health and a career. So why wouldn't we grow our family as we've had, um, as God's blessed us with abundance, why wouldn't we use that to, to bless the lives of children to come into our family and, yeah. and to just have that pure positive energy off people with no, yeah. like nothing that they're trying to hide from you of like trying to say the socially appropriate, nice thing, but actually yeah. they think they are, you know, I don't know. Or they just don't at all. I mean, I only have four and I totally got those, like, don't you know how that happens? And, you know, I mean, it's just like, there's those, you can list them out, the things that people say, and it's just like, oh yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. 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 That's really interesting. And yeah, something I wouldn't have thought of, but once you say it, it's like, oh yeah, I bet that is just a totally different perspective in other places. Mm -hmm. So it feels good. Yeah. People just be happy for you. Yeah. Okay. So you do the Poland thing. You guys love Poland. You get to travel around Europe and then you come back. Yeah. Then we came back to the States. Um, and this time was a little different because we came back for an assignment. So we weren't just coming back for training to go to our next assignment. Our assignment was to Washington DC. Okay. Um, and my husband worked in what's called the op center for the state department. It's just kind of like the, the main head office ish. It's, it's kind of hard to explain. Okay. okay. <laughs> it's just a, like a, a main nerve center for the state department. Um, so he did a year of working there in the op center. Um, and then he, then he got the assignment to go to Jerusalem. And so our second year in Virginia was him taking Arabic classes. Okay. So you were back there for two years. For he two learned. Years. So another hard language. Yeah. <laughs> My goodness. That's so impressive. That point, we had, we kind of had been talking about, you know, how long are we going to do this? Um, mm. And when we joined, we initially told each other, you know what, we're going to do this for 10 years. We're in for 10 years. And at that point, our family, we knew that our oldest would then be um, a teenager. And then mm-hmm. we thought 10 years is a nice round number to say, we'll kind of shoot for that and then reevaluate. Mm-hmm. And um, so when we were thinking about our next assignment, we knew we were coming up on that 10 years and we'd kind of been talking about, you know, maybe, maybe there's some benefits to not moving every two years. Yeah. <laughs> and we're thinking about that. So we kind of had it on our radar that we might not be doing this for very much longer. So we tried to be really deliberate in our assignment, our next assignment. And um, we talked a lot about, okay, if this is our last one, where would you want to go? What would make you feel like, check, we did that. We had the full experience. And for my husband, it was learning Arabic and going to Jerusalem. Wow. And, um, and then we were lucky enough 
blessed enough to, to actually get what we wanted. It doesn't always work out that way. Sure. That's that, how it works. That is ambitious. <laughs> and I imagine, like, I mean, you've been to just three so vastly different places. I mean, from this like small city in Africa to Europe to the Middle East. Yeah. Like that's, you've really run the gamut. Okay, ladies, we are going to stop right there in this episode with Brooke, because like I said, there was so much more to this episode that we decided to break it up into two different weeks. So next week's episode, will finish out everything that Brooke and I were talking about, about her family's travels. But if you would like the show notes for this episode, then you can go to boldturquoise.com slash 137. And while you're doing stuff online, if you want to just hop over into your app and give us a rating and review in iTunes, that would be a really great way to help boost the show. And if you want to take it one step further and share about our show on social media, we would be so grateful. If you tag me on Instagram, I will be sure to share it to my stories as well. So thank you so much to those of you who have done that and are about to. Also, you guys, just to put that other little thing back in your mind, I am heading to court next week and I would so, so appreciate your prayers during this very stressful time. If you would like updates on that, the people in the Patreon group are going to get the most intimate detail about what is going on. That's patreon.com slash cultivating the lovely, but you'll also be able to find short updates on my Instagram at Mackenzie Coppa. Thank you all so much for your support. And until next week, go be bold and gracious.